and greetings and welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thrilled that you are making us a part of your day once again, wherever you are in the world, however you may be listening. We are thrilled that you are giving your continued support to the podcast. I want to thank our partner, Life Reimagined, their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy, filled with resources for you to try out as you attempt to reach your peak happiness. Because as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams, so what's next? Go to lifereimagine.org. Well, I want to ask you a question. What if the secret to lasting happiness is actually simple? Well, in Live Happy's upcoming book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, you can discover how surprisingly easy everyday acts lead to lifelong joy and fulfillment as proven by the latest research in positive psychology. Each chapter is organized around the key components of creating happy life and features 40 real-life inspirational stories from regular people and celebrities. It's available for pre-order now, and when you place your order before March 15th, you'll receive a bonus gift absolutely free, including exclusive interviews, illustrated posts, a free issue of Live Happy Magazine Digital Edition, and five exclusive stories from people who are practicing happiness and creating joyful lives. Now, the website is choosingjoybook.com. There's more information there, and we would love for you to check it out. Now, in this episode, Live Happy's Deborah High spoke with Barbara Fredrickson on uh, one of the 10 practices for choosing joy, relationships and connection. Barbara is among the most highly cited scholars in psychology and serves as president of the International Positive Psychology Association. Her research reveals how micro moments of love and other forms of positivity nourish your health, wisdom, and longevity. Dr. Fredrickson, thank you so much for joining us on the Live Happy Now podcast today. Oh, it's great to be here. Well, one of my favorite books that's come out in the last few years is your Love 2.0. It's really fascinating to me how you, you define love in the book not necessarily as what we think of as romantic love. Could you share with our listeners what, you know, really the topic of Love 2.0 is? Yeah, well, I've been studying the effects of emotions for decades now. And one thing that we need to remember is that love is an emotional experience. We also use the word for our most cherished relationships. That can sometimes kind of blind us to the fact that the everyday emotional ups and downs matter a lot. And The way that I look at love, the way I've sort of suggest we could upgrade our view of love is think about the micro moments of positive connection that we have with others. Those moments where you share a laugh or a smile or just a positive sentiment and um, kind of feel like you're on the same page or you click. Those those micro moments end up being the the nutrients that build our our sense of you know trust, loyalty, and commitment and you know, they're, they're kind of the basic building blocks of our, of our most cherished bonds, but also our just general sense of feeling safe and connected to our communities. Just to kind of rephrase, it's not, it, it is a micro connection. I think there's a, an example somebody shared with me where maybe it's someone you don't even know in a coffee shop to have a, a brief exchange that causes you both to laugh. Is, is that really what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, these are like the basic building blocks of, of, you know, human health and, you know, the feeling of connection to community. If you think about, um, you know, research on infant development, it's those positive interchanges with a caregiver that end up being, you know, foundational to child development. And what's true for babies is, I think, equally true for adults. We just forget it. <laughs> we just We just put so much focus on other things like achievement and, status and roles, we forget that these, you know, these same things that 
that fed development and growth, you know, when we were infants are are equally important nutrients for growth and health, you know, as adults. Well, I know your research really centers on positive emotions. Can you, you know, briefly explain, because I know there's so much to it, why positive emotions are, are beneficial and important to us? Yeah. You know, for so long, people ignored emotions all told um, because they are fleeting and and especially positive emotions can seem so subtle. And yet the accumulation of more moments like that matters because when we feel that momentary uplift uh, or pleasantness that goes with a positive emotion like joy, serenity, gratitude, inspiration, that fundamentally changes the way the human brain works. We become more open and aware of our context and our, our surroundings. We're able to see the big picture and connect the dots. And having more moments where we're able to be more broadly aware or more flexibly aware contributes to our ability to grow and become more resourceful, more resilient, more socially connected. And and this is a, a, a logic that I've articulated in what I call the broaden and build theory of positive emotions, is that positive emotions act as nutrients because they change our receptiveness, our our um, you know the the way our brains are functioning in ways that help us help up us to absorb and grow and become better versions of ourselves. Is there is there a physical transformation that occurs, or is it is it purely a, a, a broadening, or do we know yet? Yeah, I think it's both, and there's evidence for both. There's evidence that um, uh, for broadened awareness that comes through eye tracking studies, you know, taking in where people are searching in their visual environment, and also from brain imaging studies in terms of patterns of blood flow in the brain. So there is something physically different um, transpiring when people are experiencing momentary positive emotions. And um, over time, we see objective physical benefits to, to cardiovascular health in particular, where the more moments people are able um, to sort of self-generate more positive emotional states, that actually predicts improvements in cardiovascular functioning. Wow, that's that that's kind of amazing, I think, for most of us who just think of emotions as, uh, positive emotions especially as feeling good, but um, having a, a physical effect is, um, I guess we probably always knew it helped with our stress levels to have more positive emotions intuitively, but to have a physical uh, transformation, that's that's kind of revolutionary to think about uh, for me. And and it's, you know, because emotions uh, are always a mind and a body experience. It's not like they just float around in our in our minds. They also kind of uh, drip down to infuse our, our physiology and our cardiovascular functioning and, you know, our cascade of biochemicals in our bodies. And so um, they are the experience that very much has both a a psychological feeling tone and um, biological bases and biological effects. What is the most interesting or surprising thing you've learned over the course of your research? Well, again, it's just that piece that people can actually have um, more control than they um, might think they could have over which emotions they feel and when. And when people exert that control and, and work to create authentic, contextually appropriate positive emotions, that um, 
that, that functions like a nutrient that helps helps us to become physically healthier. Again, changing the very rhythms of the heart. We also see, you know, some uh, connection also to patterns of gene expression in the immune system. So uh, again, emotions have, you know, they they feel so, you know, ephemeral and and um, uh, transient, and and certainly uh, at many levels they are, but they do. Um, you know, impinge on our physical health in, in key ways. Well, you said that people actually have some control over this. In what ways can people begin to really gain control over building more positive emotion into their lives? Yeah, you know, this is actually a tricky subject because sometimes people hear the benefits of positive emotions and just think, oh, I've got to be happy all the time, and they <laughs> kind of force themselves to be happy all the time. And we know that when people try to just will themselves to be happy, it actually backfires sometimes and can make people feel more isolated or more lonely or or just more depressed because they feel like they're not able to do that. Well, the the better way to increase positive emotions is to prioritize situations and activities that you know from your past experience are likely to, you know, produce emotional uplift. And then when you're experiencing or putting yourselves in those situations, you just kind of have the graciousness to see what emerges rather than trying to force the feeling. Um, some situations and or activities that can uh, that have been reliably been shown to increase positive emotions is to spend more time in face-to-face connection with others, or even to just reflect at the end of the day on the connections that you were able to create with others and and assess, you know, did you feel in tune with others? Did you feel close to others? We found in our own studies that when people reflect on connection in that way, that elevates their positive emotions with consequent benefits for physical health. So, um, you know, kind of just prioritizing connection enough to reflect on it every day and maybe lean into it, opportunities to connect a bit more each day. Those are reliable ways to increase day-to-day positive emotions. One of the questions that uh, I get frequently when I'm interviewed is, uh, how do you deal with negative people? Because, of course, we're all seeking positive interactions. How do we turn negative relationships more positive, particularly like in the workplace or even in actual romantic you know, relationships, husbands and wives? Uh, people are like, well, I deal with a lot of negative people. How do I manage my own positivity through that? Yeah. I think, again, just recognizing that there's some separation between their emotion and your emotion and trying to develop a little bit of um, distance and self-control about how you respond to to that negativity. And, you know, since negative experiences and negative people are going to be part of all of our lives, that's not, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, what's key is seeing, well, how am I reacting to this? Am I, you know, taking their anxiety and making it my own anxiety? Or am I um, being, you know, as best I can constructive and, um, you know, trying to stay grounded and not sort of lose my own cool because this other person has lost their cool? When we're able to uh, try to develop some resilience and some equanimity in that way, that that can actually uh, itself be contagious and, and it changes the 
the interaction that ensues. I mean, just recognizing that we don't have to experience the same negativity that somebody else is experiencing um, is key. And then also seeing it as, well, this is a learning situation. Here I am learning how to not, you know, uh, necessarily just mimic that negativity or, or absorb it just in its completeness. And then every time you get that experience, it's like, well, I'm learning how to sort of keep my own groundedness despite that negativity a little bit more every time. And just having some self-compassion about it, you know, it takes a while to to develop those skills. Something else that I've encountered is a ratio of positive to negative interactions for us to have a perceived positive well-being over time. And I've mm-hmm. heard various ratios from 80% to maybe it's three to one. Is, is there a definitive answer on how much positivity versus negativity we need to really maintain our own positive well-being? Yeah, there's no um, definitive answer on that. Descriptively, we know from some of the studies we've done in my lab that people who are in flourishing mental health, doing really well, not just feeling happy, but feeling like they're making a contribution to their uh, communities and life has meaning and purpose and growth. Um, People who are flourishing like that tend to have higher ratios of positive to negative emotions in daily life, you know, somewhere in the three to one, four to one, five to one zone. Um, Whereas um, people who are depressed or dealing with um, anxiety issues tend to have positivity ratios less than one-to-one. And then there's just a, a big group of people in between those two categories, you know, people who aren't dealing with mental illness and are, but also aren't in that flourishing um, mode either. And uh, descriptively, what we know is um, people are sort of in that middle range, tend to have ratios of about two-to-one uh, positive to negative emotions. So there's still a, an overall balance towards the positive, but it's... Um, it's less than what you see in people who are um, uh, functioning at higher levels of well-being. Do we know if that's uh, because they're flourishing that they're having more positive, or is it the more positive that helps them flourish? It's both, actually. And we have a, we have a study on this exactly, that um, people who are in that flourishing category end up having um, a, a bigger boost in their positive emotions from you know, everyday experiences that across the board make most people feel positive, like social interaction or like learning something new. Most people feel a boost in positive emotions when they interact. People who are flourishing get a bigger boost, and that bigger boost contributes to building resources that help support uh, and reinscribe their status as flourishing. Wow, it's that's interesting. I I I didn't quite expect that answer that it was both, but that's that's really that's really fascinating. Our listeners are really engaged in trying to build more well-being into them themselves and their families and I love that earlier you brought up the fact that the simple pursuit of happiness as a goal is not necessarily the right goal. It's it's really more about breaking down the details, making sure you're focused more on the positive uh, emotions and, and engagement. What advice would you give to our listeners as a place to start? Like, what, what is the simple, simplest thing you can tell them to focus on that you feel like might have the most impact? Right. And here's where I think that, I mean, knowing the benefits of 
you know, these momentary experiences of positive emotions, that they help open our mindsets and, and build our resources and resilience, can get us to stop thinking about sort of happiness as a goal or a place you move into and never move out of, like some utopia, and thinking it more as, you know, do I have a lot of these ingredients in my day, these moments where I can uh, experience serenity or inspiration or or gratitude? And, and you know, if you look at your day or your to-do list and you think, um, gosh, there's not much opportunity for good feelings in that, then, you know, uh, a, an effective way to increase well-being is to restructure you know, your to-do list a little bit and, you know, try to have things on there that are emotionally uplifting. Um, And again, when you, uh, it's kind of like, you know, making time to spend with a friend, but when you get together with that friend, you're not constantly thinking, oh, am I feeling joy? Am I feeling joy? (laughs) You have the graciousness just to let the the situation unfold on its own and you're going to feel what you're going to feel. But where you have control is, is in how, what situations you select. I'm not going to have coffee with you anymore because I didn't feel enough joy. It's probably not yeah. a good way to <laughs> run your life. Right. So it's another thing that my research team and I have done a lot of work on are, are the effects of learning meditation techniques. And mm-hmm. in particular, um, around this focus on social connection, there seems to be a real benefit to meditation techniques that help us kind of cultivate these warmer heart qualities, heartfelt uh, feelings of care and friendship for others, even even strangers and acquaintances. And um, my website for my book, which is positivityresonance.com, has a number of uh, ways and avenues people can explore these guided meditations for this loving kindness meditation. Uh, as a way to see if that's a good fit for them. For those of you listening, if you want to go to the livehappynow.com, we will have a link to that website. And I do recommend you check it out because I know meditation and mindfulness are great tools in building positive well-being into your own life. Dr. Fredrickson, thank you so much for being on Live Happy Now. This has been really, really informative, and I really enjoyed our talk. Oh, yeah, me too. Thanks for inviting me. For a free online course and sketch note of this episode, visit livehappynow.com. Also, receive your exclusive offer when you pre-order Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy by visiting livehappy.com slash pre-order. That's it for this episode of Live Happy Now. Once again, thank you so much for listening, but it's not a one-sided conversation. Let us know what you think by finding us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, Instagram by searching mylivehappy, or send us an email, podcast at Live Happy. For everyone involved with the Live Happy Now podcast and Live Happy magazine, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, thank you, and remember to always live happy.